Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. Uh, it's the day that you have made. And so we are going to rejoice and be glad in it. I thank you that we are able to gather this way virtually for church. And uh, I pray, God, that you would now quiet our hearts as we turn to your word. I pray that you would open our ears and our eyes to hear and see what it is that you would have us hear and see from your word this morning, what it is you would have us learn. And I pray, God, that you would speak through me. I pray that it would not be my words, but it would be your words. I pray that the message that you have would ring clearly this morning. Uh, as Paul prays or asks the Colossians to pray in the text we're about to look at, we pray, God, that, um, that the message of your gospel would go forth clearly uh, in this moment. Uh, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you have done. We thank you that you are at work. Even when it doesn't feel like it, we know that you are at work and we praise you for that. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So good. So, so good to be back with you all again uh, this weekend. Uh, before we get into the sermon, I just want to say a few brief words about the interview that John Easterhouse did last week with Jordan and Alamine and Donjay. Uh, I was completely blessed by that, and I know a lot of you were as well because I heard from you. Uh, what a wonderful, wonderful example of godly discipleship and what... Um, what maturity in those young men and their hearts for God were so inspiring and so encouraging. And so I hope if you didn't see it, that you have a chance to catch that. Uh, a wonderful message on discipleship in the times that we're living in right now. So with that, we're going to get to today's sermon. Uh, this is the last sermon in our series on Colossians that we've titled, This Changes Everything. Feels like a long time ago that we started working through this book. And today we're going to read the last the last section of it and talk about what, what we think God is teaching us through that. Uh, next week, I will introduce uh, this, the theme for our summer sermon series and we'll, um, we'll go from there. So with that, uh, if you will turn with me today to Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 2, and I am going to read through the end of the book, end of the letter. Colossians 4, 2 through 18. It says this, Continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus, will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. 
and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, imagine this. Imagine if I told you this morning that there existed a cure for COVID-19. Not just a cure, but a vaccine as well. Imagine if I told you there was a company that many, many months ago had developed a, a, a medicine and a vaccine that had been tested and approved and was totally effective against COVID-19. And the, the, um, imagine that the government had approved it and that it was reasonably priced, it was easy to obtain, it was cheap. And yet imagine that this company had not told anyone about it. Well, maybe imagine that they had just, they had treated themselves and their families and maybe some of their friends and some friends at other uh, drug companies or in the government, but everyone who knew about this cure or this vaccine was just living their everyday life, keeping it a secret as if they didn't know anything that anybody else didn't know. Can you imagine if that was the case? Now, before you get too angry or <laughs> too excited, uh, that's not true that I'm aware of. I, I made that up. But imagine if it was. Imagine if there was a cure that existed for COVID-19 and some group of people somewhere were keeping a secret. Imagine that the secret got out. Imagine that the anger and the frustration and the disappointment, imagine um, the lawsuits and the jail terms and uh, the social media and the media firestorm that would cause. The message of people are dying and you kept this a secret. Now, perhaps that little fake story uh, for an introduction hits too close to home today. Uh, as we sit here in the middle of multiple pandemics, um, our world is desperate for healing. It is desperate for healing and not just physical healing. We know about the COVID-19 pandemic, but there's also an economic pandemic. And we have seen in recent weeks and months, we are in the midst of a social and, and societal and racial pandemic. Um, but what I want to communicate to us today is that those three pandemics, and you may be able to come up with even some more, I, I want to argue are symptoms. They are symptoms of a deeper pandemic, which they all expose and point to. And that is a spiritual pandemic. We are living in the midst of a spiritual pandemic. And the, the, the social unrest, and that unrest isn't even a strong enough word, and the, the economic issues that have come as a result of the, uh, the health crisis of coronavirus or COVID-19, those are all effects of a spiritual pandemic which we are in the midst of. Now, this is not a popular thing to talk about. And oftentimes in churches, it gets glossed over because it's not a great way to grow a church. But the message of this book is clear. And that is that we are all born spiritually sick, spiritually very sick. And until we meet Jesus, until we meet Jesus, we are walking around spiritually sick. We are spiritually dead. And, and, and this world is full of people who don't know Jesus. And according to the Bible, are headed for, for death and eternity separated from God, which is what the Bible calls hell. And the thing about that is we in the church, those of us who know Jesus and have come to him and have, as I'll talk about later, have had our hearts of stone replaced by hearts of flesh. We have the cure. We have the vaccine for the spiritual pandemic that is raging throughout our world. And the problem is so often in the church, 
we keep it a secret. The title of my message today is Let Them Know, because we have a message that our dying world is desperate to hear. So let's let them know. And that is the message that Paul gives to the church in Colossae as we turn now to the last section of the letter to the Colossians. As we turn to these verses, it looks a little bit at first blush like Paul has just tacked on a few extra instructions and then some greetings at the end of the letter, but nothing could be further from the truth. These are critical verses to tie together the whole message of the book of Colossians. They are not just additional instructions. These are critical to the message that Paul is communicating to that church. And it is this. It is, remember what I told you earlier, who Jesus is, the firstborn of all creation, uh, the preeminent one, the image of the invisible God. And then remember, remember Paul says, remember, I told you that um, when you come to him in the divine body system, his life becomes your life. His death becomes your death. His resurrection becomes your resurrection. And then Paul talks about all the ways that gets played out in daily life. And then we come to this section in verses two through six of chapter four, and Paul wraps it all up by saying essentially this, don't keep it a secret. You have a message that the world is dying to hear. So let them know. And I believe as we look at these verses today through the end of the chapter four in Colossians, uh, we can dig out a few principles that we can apply to our lives in this moment, in, in COVID-19, 2020, George Floyd, economic cratering. There are principles we can start applying right now in helping us to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a world that is dying to hear it. So. The first thing I want us to see in this text is that Paul tells the church in Colossians, pray so that people meet Jesus. Pray so that people meet Jesus. Turn with me again to verse two. Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. What's he saying? He's saying pray, but what he's really saying is pray a lot. That word steadfastly in the Greek uh, carries the idea of being attached to something or being devoted to it. And so Paul is saying here, he's saying, pray as if you are attached to it. Let your life be such that it is as if you are inseparable from the act of prayer. But he doesn't say just pray more. Look what he says then in verses three and four. He says, at the same time, pray also for us, what? That God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Now, he said it right there, but let me remind us, Paul is writing this letter from prison. Now, if I was in prison and I was writing a letter to all of you, do you know what I would ask you to pray for? Pray that I get out of prison. That's not what Paul asks them to pray for in this text. He says, pray that the gospel of Christ is communicated clearly through me. He is in jail for telling people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, please pray that doors will be opened that I might clearly communicate the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ while I'm in jail. I'm not asking you to pray that I get out. I'm asking you to pray that I will have more opportunities to help other people meet Jesus. There are people I am in prison with who don't know Jesus and they need to. And I want you to pray that I have the opportunity to clearly communicate to them who he is. He says, pray so that people will meet Jesus. 
John Piper in his wonderful book, Desiring God, in talking about prayer, he says, prayer was designed by God to be a wartime walkie-talkie. But the problem is we use it like a domestic intercom. And I just think that is, that is so awesome. Uh, Piper says, we are in, in a war. And the Bible tells us that in Ephesians six twelve, it says, we are in a battle and we are in a battle against the principalities and the, um, the spiritual realms. I don't have it in front of me, but you can look it up. Ephesians six twelve. we are in a spiritual battle. We're not, our fight is not against flesh and blood. It is against the spirits and, and demonic forces. And Piper says the reason God has given us prayer is because we are in a war. It is designed to be a walkie-talkie during wartime to call in the cavalry, to call in reinforcements when we need help in our mission. He says, but our problem is we have turned prayer into a domestic intercom. We treat it like our, uh, we treat prayer like our Alexa. We sit in the comfort of our den on our couch and we ask Alexa to reorder our favorite chocolates and turn up the temperature in our home to just the right uh, degree and to turn on our favorite program on TV. We, we, we treat prayer like uh, it's just how do we be more comfortable? It is not designed that way. It is a walkie-talkie. Uh, Piper says prayer, the point of prayer is empowering for mission. And that's what Paul is talking about here. He's saying, don't pray that I will be more comfortable. He's saying, pray that I will fulfill the mission that God has given me. And that mission is that I may clear the message of who Jesus Christ, the hope that is found in him and the salvation that is found in him. So my question to us is, how are we doing with that? How are we, how's our prayer life? The easy application for these few verses for us would be to say, so you should pray more. And that's good and right and true. And there's not a person I know who could do well with praying less. Uh, so my question is, are we praying as if our life depends on it? Um, Keller in his book, Prayer, Tim Keller says, there is literally nothing more important we can do than pray. But if we're going to take the application straight out of these verses, we got to take it one step further than that. And it's not just pray more, but it is, are we praying that the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ goes forth? Are we praying that hearts and eyes and minds are of the people we know and love or we're doing life with are opened up to the reality of who Jesus is and what he has done. Are we praying that people will meet Jesus? So when, when we read another news story that, that COVID cases have set a new record high, are we praying about that? And not just praying that people will be protected, but are we praying that people will come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ who are being affected by that news? When we hear that uh, another friend has lost their job, or another small business that we know of has gone under. Are we praying? Is that, is that causing us to pray? And are we praying for those people? And not just that they'll get a new job, but that the, that the salvation message of Jesus Christ will be, will be clearly communicated to them. When, when we see more news about um, riots and conflict and, and the hatred that is in the hearts of man and uh, injustice and racism, is that driving us to our knees in prayer, not just for healing, not just for reconciliation, and we should be praying for those. Please don't hear me saying you shouldn't be. But are we taking it to the further step, which is, are we praying that hearts and minds will be open to the knowledge, the saving knowledge, the transforming knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Every Wednesday, since, since the pandemic began, since we went into shelter in place, every Wednesday from 12 to 1, myself and a group of faithful saints at Abundant Life, and a few people who aren't uh, members at Abundant Life. We get on a Zoom call 
Wednesdays, 12 to one, and we just pray. We pray for an hour and it started off praying for COVID and now we're praying for the economy and we're praying for our society and for uh, reconciliation. But you know, always, always, always where that prayer time heads, at least someone, if not multiple people, start praying for revival. It's, we want more than just healing. We want eyes and hearts opened to who Jesus was. We want people to say 2020 was a crummy year, but that was the year that my life changed because I met Jesus Christ. Are we praying along those lines? Because that's the message of these first two verses. Pray so that people meet Jesus. Paul says, don't even, not, not just pray that people meet Jesus, but the second thing he says, he says to the church in Colossae, walk wisely so that people meet Jesus. Verses five and six, he says, conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. That phrase, conduct yourselves, literally in the Greek is walk. He's saying walk wisely, and he's not literally talking about just putting one foot in front of the other. He's saying live wisely. And the reason I want us to know that that is literally walk is because I think there's a direct connection back to chapter two, verse six, which if you remember, and I don't expect you all to, that's kind of the linchpin verse of the book of Colossians. Chapter two, verse six, it says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. And here comes Paul, chapter four, verse five. He's saying again, walk wisely toward outsiders. And then he says this, making the best use of the time. That phrase is a little bit awkwardly translated into English, but in the, in the Greek, it carries the idea of snatching up every opportunity. It's an idea, it's, he's saying live with urgency towards people who don't know, with people who don't know Jesus is. And then he says in verse six, let your speech always be seasoned, always be gracious seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. He is saying saltiness, it, it makes people thirsty. And he's saying, I, I love this, uh, catch that phrase, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. He said, pray for me for how I ought to speak. He's saying, act for yourselves so that you know how to answer. Do you catch what he's saying there? He's saying, the call on each of your lives is not to be a preaching evangelist like me. The call on your life is to live in such a way that people ask you about why you live in that way. That phrase, so that you may know how you ought to, ought to answer each person, that implies what? It implies that people are going to ask you about how you live your life. He is saying your calling is to live your life in such a way, in such a, a salty way, that those who you are doing life with, that you work with, that you go to school with, that you live near, they see something in your life and they can't help but ask, why are you different? L live in such a way that it makes people ask you about it. Uh, don't you love how millennials, and I'm a millennial, barely, Barely, I'm a millennial, so I can kind of make fun of my own. Don't you love how millennials have taken a lot of things that are just kind of normal and ordinary, and they put a new word or phrase on it that makes it sound like it's kind of fancy or special? For example, uh, most of us, when we don't have breakfast, we say that we skipped breakfast, but they say they are intermittent fasting. Or uh, something, is not, something is not good, it's fire. It's not on fire, it's just, Something good is fire. Uh, these are not my clothes. This is my fit, right? And it's not my girlfriend or my boyfriend. It's bae, whatever that means. Uh, one of my favorites 
is the term influencer. And if I can just let you in on a little secret, do you know what an influencer is? It is a salesperson. An influencer is a salesman or a salesman or a saleswoman, excuse me. And an influencer is someone who generally on social media has a lot of followers. And they're an influencer because a lot of people look to them. But what that means is that companies will pay them in order to promote or market their products to the people that they influence, to their followers. But it's subtle. It's very rarely, hey, here's an ad for this great product that you should buy. Much more often, it's just, hey, look at this great new shirt that I got. And you're like, well, that's a nice shirt. I'd like to know where they got that shirt. Or look at this awesome hotel that I stayed at. And you're like, that's a beautiful looking hotel. I'd love to know where that hotel is and how much it costs to stay there. It's, they're not in your face advertising. They are just doing life in such a way. Now, they have a plan that as you watch it, you're intrigued and you want to know what it is they're doing and what they're using and wow, that vacuum looks amazing and maybe I should have that vacuum or whatever it is. And at the risk of taking a beautiful theological truth, as I often do, and cheapening it by comparing it to an influencer, uh, Paul is saying to the church in Colossae, live your lives as if you are influencers for Jesus Christ. And he is not only saying it to them, but he's saying it to you and I today. He is saying, you are an influencer. If you have come to Jesus, you are an influencer for Jesus Christ. So live your life in such a way that those who don't know him, that those who we would call outsiders are so intrigued by how you're living your life that they can't help but be interested in it and want to know more about it. And if I can just be really honest, the church does not do a great job of this. And I'm, I'm saying church big C not Little C Church Abundant Life. I'm not talking about ALCF. I'm talking about the church in general. The church in general, and now we can expect this at some level because it is the church is full of people who are sinful, and so there's always going to be issues. But, but the church has done a pretty crummy job. It is so full of conflict and strife and disunity that there are so many people on the outside, outsiders, as Paul talks about in verse 5, who are looking at what's happening in the church, and they're like, thanks, but no thanks. Like, I'm not, I'm not so interested in that. But I believe, and uh, you, you, you all are just going to hear me bang on this drum for the next coming weeks and months and maybe years. I believe that God, God has called ALCF for such a time as this when our world is so, uh, so stricken with disunity and anger and, and disjointed life with each other and, and so much strife. I believe God has called ALCF, God has planted ALCF, God has grown ALCF for such a time as this because of the unity that we embody, because of the diversity that we embody across racial and ethnic and generational and socioeconomic spheres of life. We are being called to walk wisely at ALCF such that outsiders such that the city of Mountain View and the Bay Area and the world around us sees how we are doing life and is thinking, what is it? What do you have? Why do you live this way? And I know there are a lot of diverse communities in the Bay Area. There are companies that have people from all different walks of life and all different backgrounds. But ALCF is unique and a few other churches like it because we are not built on um, the idea of a, a technology idea or of a making money idea. Our foundation is in the gospel and the hope of Jesus Christ and it is the reason we look the way we are and is the reason we love each other and forgive each other and walk with each other and do life with 
each other. And I want that to be the message that the world sees from ALCF, that we, we have been changed through our union with Jesus Christ. And this is what it looks like playing out in real life. May we walk wisely that the world around us might say, what is it that you have because I want it? That the world around us might come to know who Jesus is. So he says, pray that people might know who Jesus is. He says, walk wisely so that people might meet Jesus. And the last thing I want us to see is that Paul says, fulfill your ministry so that people meet Jesus. Now, you will notice I've gotten through verse six. We now have verse seven, verses seven through 18 to cover uh, and just about five minutes left in the sermon. So it's not gonna happen. So we're gonna skip over a few of these parts. This last section are Paul's greetings to the church, greetings from people that he's with to some of the people who are in the church. And it's awesome. It could be its own sermon in and of itself. And maybe I should have done that. Uh, It is a beautiful picture of exactly what Paul has been talking about in these last few verses of community and unity and of different people from different backgrounds laying down their lives in order to come together and work together for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that other people might know who he is and what he has done for them. But there's one verse I just want to draw out for us because I think it is not just for the one person it's directed to. I think it was for everyone in that church back then. And I think it's for all of us now. So we need to recognize as we look at these last 11 verses in this chapter, by this time, Paul was well known in the Christian world for sure. And in some circles in the Jewish world, people knew who Paul was and to get a letter from the apostle Paul would have been a big deal. So while this church in Colossae was likely a bunch of little house churches that were all connected by their shared faith in Jesus Christ, when they heard that a letter from the Apostle Paul had come, they all most likely would have gathered together in order to hear this letter read. It was a big deal to get a letter from someone like Paul. So they're all gathered together, as many as possibly can be there. And Paul gives them this beautiful treatise on who Jesus is, this, who, what he has done, how he has changed their lives. And then he gets to the end and he starts, he starts making some personal comments. And here's Paul and he's name dropping, right? He's talking about all these people that he's working with. And I don't mean that in a bad sense, but people that they would have known of and heard of. He's like, hey, I'm with Epaphras. He's the guy who planted your church and he sends his greetings. And Mark, you know who Mark is? He sends his greetings. And and I'm with Luke. You know Luke, the guy who wrote the gospel of Luke and who wrote Acts. Well, he's actually writing Acts right now and you're going to love it. He's like, I'm with all these people and they send their greetings. Then he says, have this letter read read in Laodicea and read the letter that I sent to them. And then he gets to right to the end. And the second to last thing he says in the entire letter, he calls out one person in the Colossian church, just one person in the whole letter that he calls out by name. And he calls out this guy Archippus in verse 17. We don't know who Archippus is. He may have been the pastor. He may have been a young disciple of Paul's. He may have been a farmer or a salesperson or an influencer. Or he may have been the guy that set the chairs out before church met and the guy who stacked the chairs again after church was over. We don't know. But for some reason, the Apostle Paul calls him out by name. Everyone in the Colossian church is there. They've heard this beautiful message on the preeminence of Christ. And he says, hey, tell Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. In front of everyone. He says, Archippus, you have a ministry that God has called you to, and I want you to fulfill it. See it through to the end. Can you imagine the 
wind in Archippus's sails that would have been, to have been named by the Apostle Paul in this letter that was being read in front of everyone, for Paul to have said, God has a call on your life and fulfill it, see it through to the end. You know, uh, many of you know that we have a tradition, uh, maybe it's not a tradition, a routine in our country, that every year when the president of the sitting president of the United States gives the State of the Union address, he generally invites some personal guests and they usually sit up in the balcony, often with his wife, and they're normal, normal people who have, for some reason, he wants to highlight something they've done or something that has been done to them. This happening right here is a little bit as if, it's like that situation, but if it was a little bit different. It's more like, imagine you had a friend who worked in the government and last minute, day of the State of the Union was like, hey, I've got an extra ticket to the State of the Union address. Would you like to come and listen? Uh, and you're like, yes, that would be awesome. So you show up, you're in the very last row, the nosebleeds, the very back of the balcony, and all of a sudden, in the middle of the President's State of the Union address, he calls you out by name and says, you've done something great, and I want you to be recognized, and, and I want you to keep doing it, and keep doing it well. That's kind of what is happening here. And I don't think that message was just for Archippus. I think it was for everyone in the church in Colossae, and I think it is for you, and I think it is for me. God is calling us out publicly, and not in a bad way. I know we live in a call-out culture, and that's not the type of calling out I'm saying, in a good way. God is calling us out publicly, and He is saying, I have a calling on your life. You have a ministry that I have called you to. See that you fulfill it. That is an amazing word. And so what I want us to see is that it doesn't matter what your day job is. It doesn't matter if you are a student or a teacher or a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad or a software engineer or a salesman or a CEO or you're retired or you're a pastor. God has a call on your life. He has a ministry for you to fulfill and this is it. It is to make known the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is to live in such a way that those who are around you see the way that you live your life and can't help but ask what it is that is different about you. We have a message that the world is dying to hear. So let them know the message. As we close up, I just want to say this. Uh, we should not be surprised as hard as this year has been. We should not be surprised by what we are seeing go on all around us. The message of this book is that we should actually expect it. God tells us through the prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament that, that before we come to Jesus, our hearts are hearts of stone and we are essentially dead men walking and we can do nothing good of our own. And so the, the issues in our society, the issues in our economy, and even the health issues, the, the issues in, with this disease, they are all symptoms of the deeper issue, which is that if we don't know Jesus Christ, we are dead people walking. The message that the book, the question, the question that the book of Colossians is really attempting to answer is this. It is, can people really change? And the answer that Paul lays out through that whole letter is unequivocally, yes. Yes, people can really change but they cannot do it on their own. They can only do it through the power and the blood of Jesus Christ. And so that is the message that we are called to bring to the world. There is a God in heaven, 
and he sent his son, seeing what sin had done to his world. And Jesus, his son, came to earth as a man and he lived a perfect life. He never sinned, and yet he died on a cross. He died the death that we should have died in our place. He took our sin and our sickness and our death onto himself, onto the cross, and those things died with him on the cross, but he did not stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the dead, and in that moment, he showed his power over sin and sickness sickness and death forever. And through that death, through the blood he shed on the cross, the promise that God gave through the prophet Ezekiel back in the Old Testament can come true, and it is this, that God can take our hearts of stone and he can replace them with hearts of flesh. True change is possible, but it is through the, the, it is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Why am I a Christian? I'm, I'm, it's not a rhetorical question. I'm, I'm actually going to say, why am I personally a Christian? Why do I believe that this book is true? Uh, why have I literally staked my life and my, my job on my belief that Christianity is true? Do I believe that it's historically true? Yes. Do I believe that it makes sense logically? I do. Do I make sense that it makes, do I believe that it makes sense philosophically? I do. Have I experienced it for myself to believe that it's true? I have. But the main reason, the primary reason I am a Christian, the primary reason I believe these are the words of God is because I have seen the power of Christianity. I've seen the power of Jesus Christ in changing lives and none more so than my own. I am not who I was, and the difference is Jesus Christ. For all of us, Abundant Life, who have experienced that transformation, who have been joined to Jesus Christ, our calling is to take that message to a world that is dying to hear it. Let's let them know. Amen. God, we pray. We pray that you would impress that, that truth on our hearts and minds. We pray, God, for so many of us who are afraid to share about you because it's awkward and it's uncomfortable and we're embarrassed. I pray, God, that you would give us a boldness not to hit people over the heads with our Bibles, but to live lives that are so salty, that look so different from the lives of those around us that they cannot help but ask, what is different about us? We thank you that you change lives. We thank you for the hope that that embodies. Impress it onto our souls, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. We are now going to head into our time of communion. So uh, we'll just take one moment. If you need to grab the elements, please do so. Uh, I just want to remind us that this is a symbol of unity. It's a reminder of what Jesus Christ did for us on the, 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 when he died on the cross. And it's a, it's a reminder that we are his body and we are joined together with each other on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And even though we're celebrating this uh, in our homes or living rooms or wherever we are this morning, it, we are still unified around his table and around his body, which was broken for us. So if you're not a Christian, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, um, I would encourage you not to partake as, uh, as that's what God instructs in his word. Um, but there's no better time than now, if you're not a Christian, than to make the decision to submit to Jesus Christ as Lord of your life and join this amazing body um, that we have. So uh, take one moment and let's prepare ourselves to take the elements together. Please take the bread. 
For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the cup. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you until we meet again or until our Savior comes and then forevermore. Amen. Uh, You are loved, you are prayed for, and you are sent.